Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, Crossroads. Thanks for joining us online. We're excited uh, for God's word to go forth this morning. Great to be uh, in worship with you as you are in your home and I'm here. I want to encourage you in the days ahead, things shall look different as we're putting together a plan a phase plan, maybe one through three or even one through four. You should be hearing something about that here in the days ahead. But uh, again, thanks for joining us. Tune in, grab your Bibles. We are in week four of this series entitled Mirrors. But before we get there, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I want to say especially happy uh, Mother's Day to my wife, to my beautiful kids, my queen, and then my mom. She's in California. Happy Mother's Day, mom. And then my mother-in-law, in Columbus, Ohio, happy Mother's Day. And to my sister, everybody, I can keep going, everybody, right? So, but happy Mother's Day. And I do want to be sensitive to this time as well because I know a lot of people have lost their moms and this day brings great um, pain and just reflecting, if you will. And so I pray that you will experience God's love, God's presence, God's grace and mercy, not just on this day, but in the days ahead as well, as he promised he'll do so. Like I said a little while ago, we're in chapter eight. Um, we are now... The fourth week, we will have two more weeks in this mirror series. I'm excited for the rest, the remainder of this. We'll actually be in chapter 12 for two weeks in the next coming weeks. But today we're going to park in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Very complex. I know we were in Romans chapter 5 last week. And you're saying, well, what happened to 6 and 7? Well, I think at some point in time down the line uh, that we will actually do some some, some heavy theological, uh, uh, just working and teaching on chapters 6 and 7. Very complex. So we're going to jump into chapter 8 today. It is said that Romans 8 is considered to be one of the most or even the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. That This is what many say. Many scholars, many church fathers, many people, they say this is probably one of the greatest, considered the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. How can you say that? What about John 3.16? What about Genesis and the, all the covenants that God made with his people? What about all these other great passages throughout Scripture? Why is chapter 8 so, so robust? Well, it's because of the nature of it and the content of it and the things in it that we hear and we flippantly use sometime uh, and that um, sometimes we really don't know what we're talking about, right? So N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar. He says this about Romans chapter 8. He says on record, quote, that Romans 8 is a veritable feast of Pauline themes. In other words, just just eat. If you get your fork and you begin to dive into Romans chapter 8 in your quiet time or in your Bible study, in your ABF, whatever the case may be, in your family um, devotional time, get your fork and just take time. Again, it's not about quantity, how much you can read, but the quality of the time in which uh, you're reading or the quality of what you're actually reading. So it may be a verse or two. And so you get your, um, your, your, your knife together, your fork together, and you begin to eat God's word. Why? He says it is a feast and that it carries the power of the gospel in every single breath. In other words, he's saying in every single word, every single word in chapter eight, he's saying it carries with it this, the power of the gospel that's embedded in every single word. And then he goes on to say this, if the church, the church, the bride, she, if she hoist her sails and catch the wind of Romans 8, he says, there's no telling what might happen. I, I can't wait for a day like that. I can't wait to see God move in a, an extraordinary way where his super effect affects our natural, and then we begin to see supernatural. I can't wait. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Maybe, just maybe, that today, this morning, as we're looking at Romans chapter 8, 
that this is going to be the determining factor. This is it. This is, this is it. This is the big idea. This is the, the crust. This is the foundation. This is the anchor for which your marriage could look a lot different. Um, your singleness could look a lot different. Your retirement could look a lot different. Everything about you is literally hinged upon this chapter. And it's in chapter 8, and we start right now. I want to encourage you on this. But if you approach this morning thinking, well, um, kind of like the analogy I talked about a little while ago about, you know, my family just adding on different deals, adding on different deals to our, our already busy, complex schedule, you know, the danger is this. If we just approach our relationship with Jesus or even Christianity as just an add-on to other things, and it really don't affect how you and I live or even the outlook of, of life, then I want to encourage you, I really want to say this, then you are your own God, lowercase g, but then you're walking under a false banner of Christianity because that's just not it. That's not how the relationship ought to look. And so Paul goes on record, and it's as if, as we start in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, it's as if the apostle Paul in our text this morning is saying, I want you Christians in Rome to get it, but also I want those in the, in the centuries later after this, I want them to get it. What does he want us to get? The dynamics of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our first point. The dynamics of our relationship with Christ. The dynamics of this new relationship. This is what it's all about. And by the way, I want to say a couple things before we dive into this actual thought. The dynamics now, post-conversion, the dynamics of our relationship towards and with sin, but then also in the midst of that are the dynamics of what this relationship looks like, okay? And then also, I want to say this real fast, and we'll dive on to this first point. As we dive into this, I know it's Mother's Day, and we'll be talking about God being our Father, um, but I do want to highlight the fact that if you never thought about this, that God is and was the first parent. He knows what it's like to parent. In other words, he created Adam, and then came Eve in the garden, his kids, if you will. It had been you and I in the garden, but guess what? His kids rebelled. And all of us, we were born, as David would say, born in the sin, shaped in iniquity. I mean, all of us have this bent towards sin. God understands what it's like to parent. He knows what it's like to have wayward uh, kids. He knows what it's like to have prodigals. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he has been uh, tempted. He's, he know our grief. He's bore our grief. He understands what it is, what it's like. He's been tempted yet without, yet without sin. So he can sympathize with us. So Paul says this, verse 12, so then, I love how Paul writes. I'm a big stickler on her hermeneutics, and so I just love the so then and then comma, right? So then, comma. So then, brothers, let me just stop there. So what? So what are you talking about? So in other words, Paul is saying, again, what I've already said in verses 1 through 11, now we're really going to start diving deeper into this. This actual thought, which happens really, the primary thought is in Romans 8.1. What Paul says is, there is therefore now, present tense, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great statement. I hope you understand the, the magnitude and the profoundness, if you will, and the robustness of this actual text and that how it leads to our text this morning. In other words, saying this, that you and I, condemnation comes from the enemy 
He wants to condemn you. He wants you to look down upon yourself. He wants you to think bad thoughts about yourself. He wants you to think that, hey, maybe God saved um, other people via the cross and via Jesus' blood on the cross, that that was sufficient for other people, but not necessarily sufficient for you. And I know that sometimes the enemy plays those mind games uh, with me and maybe with you, but here it is. This is the reality of this relationship that we have. And Paul's saying, so now, therefore, based on what I've already said in verse 1, that there's no condemnation. Condemnation comes from the enemy, conviction comes from, it comes from the Holy Spirit and the Lord. It's the big difference. And so when you sin or when you fall into a, a season of just uh, maybe distancing yourself from the Lord, what happens is this, you sense, you should sense conviction from the Holy Spirit within you that brings you back to repentance and then back to the Lord. So he says, so then, so then, based on the fact that there's no condemnation, God's love towards you, he's favorable towards you, his grace is big towards you. I mean, you're walking in lavishness, if you will. You're walking in the relishness, if you will, of God's provision in the midst of salvation. There's no condemnation. But he says, brothers, brothers. This term is very interesting. It means Adelphos in the Greek, and that's where we get our, our English word from the city um, of, you know, Philadelphia, okay, Philadelphia. And that basically means, we, we, you know, it's, it's known as the city of brotherly love, okay, brotherly love. But it's amazing as we look at the church today and even in our culture, it's not as if we are a brotherly loved type of or demonstrating type of people. We're more like um, brotherly shove, right, brotherly push. So he says, so then, brothers, these are terms of endearment. These are family terms. In other words, he's saying this word brothers, Adelphos, means from the same womb. That's, that's how close this is. So he's saying, this is not some far off stuff. This is, we have the same father. His name is Jesus. He's God the father. But then also we have the same mother, and, uh, uh, and that's the church, okay? The church, she's your mama. Amen. And But here's the good news. He's saying, so then, brothers, Adelphos, there's this new dynamic in this new relationship. There's this new reality. Here it is. This relationship cannot be um, a relationship that is managed like other things. In other words, this has to be the main thing, the ultimate thing. It has to be the primary relationship that affects and wires everything else that we do. He's saying, now, look at this. So then, therefore, brothers, we are not debtors, not to the flesh. Now, he's, he's building his case because, again, uh, he knows that the enemy, he's fresh out of chapter 7, which is very complex, talking about the reality of this, this inward battle within him, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. He said, who can deliver me from this, this wretched body? And then he goes on to say, man, thank God that only God can do, only the gospel can do this. And the imagery there, which is very profound, is that what they would do to crim criminals and what Paul had in mind when he was writing this is that they would put dead corpse on, on the back of criminals as they were marching them to a place of crucifixion or even punishment. And then the acid and then the, all the bodily fluids from the dead body on the live body being carried, that is carrying the dead body, would ease and soup and just really get into the, the pores and the skin of the actual person carrying it. Do you see it? And so Paul, the imagery is saying, who can, who can deliver me from such a wretched body? You see the profoundness, if you will? He's thinking like this. And so now he's going on the record to say, this relationship changes everything. I'm no longer a debtor to the flesh. And this is what it means. It means this, that Jesus' death, by his death, he released you and I from the penalty of sin. Jesus, via his death, through his death, because of his death, he released you and I from the penalty of sin, but through his resurrection, he releases you and I from the power of sin in our lives. So the penalty of sin, but then the power of sin. You see that? And as Christians, sin is very, 
very much alive in you and I. It's funny, when you go to museums, you know, you walk around and they have these big old signs in front of exhibits that say, do not touch, right? Well, why do they put those there? It's funny how you have rules. Rules are typically put in place. Why? Because something has been breached or broken. And so they add structure for freedom. They put boundaries so that people don't get hurt and things stay safe. So you look at a museum, you say, don't touch. It's amazing when you go in stores. And I, you know, I, have, I need to have a little more sympathy with my little kids because I, I was the same way uh, growing up. My mom said, don't touch. And I was that one like going in a China store or whatever. And I'd be touching stuff, right? Just don't touch that. That may break. And I'm like, you know, she turned her back. I'm trying to hit stuff. And it clinked, right? And I'm like, you know, I'm scared. I'm up, right? So, but, but here it is. But we, we, in our nature, we, we want to, we love options, right? We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to submit to leadership. We don't like, um, we love the salvation and the savior part of this relationship with Jesus. But when it comes to the lordship, submitting to, remember last week, as I have the chair imagery, just resting our faith, resting the weight of who we are on the greatness and the muchness of God, we tend to try to figure things out. And I want to encourage you and just inform you this morning, we're no longer debtors to the flesh. Paul is saying it has been dealt with. It has been delivered. It's final blow, but we do have this residue within us. Paul Tripp would go on to say this, that because of many Christians, how they fall, he said that they forget the power of indwelling sin still there. Now, yes, we are perfected. Our positional stance before the Lord is perfection, but there's a progressional state that is progressional sanctification. So progressionally, and we're going to look at this in just a little while, how we actually get to this via the spirit inside of us, that we begin to look like Jesus every single day and he cleans us out. So no matter how far you've, how long you've been in the faith, and how far you've been, how many degrees you may have, how many ABF lessons you've taught, hear me say this. I'm going on record to say this. The enemy and sin still is looking for an opportunity to take you out. And Paul is saying, guess what? You no longer have to submit to that. You no longer have to give ear to that. You no longer have to um, render, if you will, to that or, or walk towards that. You can moonwalk, if you will, back away from it. Why? Because you have a new identity. So then, Adelphos, there is no condemnation. This is a new dynamic with your relationship with sin and towards sin. And there's a new one now when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It's like buying a new house or buying a, getting an apartment or something like that. You have previous tenants inside of there, and it's always interesting, especially with apartments. You have like this, this um, deposit down, and, and they, you only get so much back depending on how damaged, if you will, the apartment is. So if you're like a junkie, you got dents all in the wall, sheetrock all banged up, right, and just stuff is toe up from the flow up. Um, you, if you gave a deposit of 500 bucks, you probably, you're probably going to get $5 back. Amen. Uh, and so with that said, it's because they want to, they got to fix all the stuff. But when the new people come in, and maybe a little bit of things still to change, if you will, but it's like when our new nature with Christ is this. Jesus moves in, he puts his bags down on the inside of our soul, he drops his bags, his majestic bags, and said, I'm not going nowhere. Even though I see all the still, the muck and the mire, I see all the ugliness, I see all of the stuff inside of this, this individual, and by the way, Jesus knew everything about us and still died for us. Isn't that beautiful? Fully known, but also fully loved. It's as if when you get married, you go to the altar. If you knew all the dirt uh, about your spouse, typically you don't figure that stuff out until after. But if you knew all the stuff, okay, you'd probably be like, uh, I, instead of say I do, you'd probably say I don't, okay? Um, but Jesus knew all our baggage and still desired to have union with us. Isn't that great? You see, sin 
It's not that bad friend your parents used to tell you not to hang around with back in the day. Oh, don't go over there with him. Don't go over there with her. Uh, she's a bad influence. Uh, bad company corrupts good morals. We know that. That's in uh, Romans chapter 12. But, but don't, don't, do, don't go mess with that. It's not like the bad little friend. I'm talking about sin. It's not the bad little friend. We ought to look at sin as a deranged serial killer that is out to take you and I out. This is no game. This is no this is no playing around this morning, saints. This thing wants to take us out. And Paul says, so then we have to make sure that we realize who we are in Christ, a brothers, a Delphos, from the same womb, if you will. We have new, a new dynamic when it comes to sin. We're no longer debtors to it. We've been freed from it. Now we can walk in this newness. You see, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll demand from you and I a price that we're not willing to pay. And sin is not neutral. It's not just kicking back. It's not like, oh, okay, I'm going to tempt so-and-so here and there. I'm going to tempt so-and-so here. And it, that's not the case. Sin is aggressive and sin is progressive. It wants to take you out. And it's funny, you watch these shows about people um, and they have these pets, these, you know, bears and lions. And, you know, one in particular is a person that had a pet snake and the snake was a little baby and it began to grow and it, it will coil up at first on the bed so the person will actually sleep with the snake in the bed. This is crazy. I mean, it's like blows my mind. If I had the emoji right now with the head, it would be right here, right? And so it just blows my mind. So the person buys the snake. They know that the snake is going to grow to be really big. And so as a little baby snake, uh, it will coil up next to the person in the bed. And then the snake got older and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But so, you know, one day the, the owner of the snake began to realize that the snake was laying down like vertically right next to the actual individual in the bed. I know this is creeping some of y'all out. And so as this snake was actually uh, just laying on the side, the snake was actually sizing up the person. So now no longer coiled up, but it was actually seeing if it can actually eat it and how much space it had. That's what sin will do. If you play with it, it will take you out. And Paul is saying then here, hey, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, that's what a Delphos means, but we are no longer debtors, not to the flesh. He says to live according to the flesh, to, to listen to the flesh, to be um, subject to the flesh. But he says in verse 13 now, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to it, you will die. I mean, it's very simple. This is not rocket science. But he goes on to say this, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will, you will live. You will live. It's like expectations now. He said, in other words, there's expectations. Now that we have this new identity, this new um, position with Jesus Christ, this new position with God via Jesus Christ, now there's new expectations when it comes to how we function on a day-to-day basis as a believer in Jesus Christ. We no longer have to listen to, submit to um, uh, the ways of the flesh because, again, that has been dealt with via the cross and the resurrection, but we live according to or by the Spirit, and that gives us everything we need. It's really biblical identity. It's just biblical identity. This whole series has really been about identity. Knowing the gospel, embodying the gospel, and then demonstrating the gospel. You see three lies about identity that we, me, I know I do sometimes that we believe, we fall prey to. You ready? I am what I do. I, I am what I have, and I am what others say I am. And we say, I mean, this is what it is. Identity tells it tells you who you are, true identity, true biblical identity. It tells you who you are, and then therefore worth comes from that. Worth gives you and I um, value. It gives us, we sense that we have value now in life, right? And then purpose gives you and I the reason why we wake up and get up every single morning and do what we do. 
You see, our identity, my identity, your identity in Christ is so much broader, deeper, and richer than we often realize and even experience on a day-to-day basis. And Paul is saying this, if you want to be a better dad um, that loves your kids and love the wife or, or whatever the case may be, if you want to be a better wife, a better mother, if you want to be a better, and I know it's like just being better, but here's how we get to better. It's not us trying to get better. It's us submitting to the better one, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And Paul is going to hearken on this. Now the new expectation, here's how we get there. Here's how we dominate sin. Here's how we conquer sin. John Owens will go on to say this. You must always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Literally, it will always be killing you. And so even when we mess up, and this text is funny because Paul is actually, he's kind of arguing, it's actually embedded in between the sentences, if you will, the reality that, hey, we will mess up still. We're not perfect. Remember, progressional. Sanctification is progressional. It's not about perfection, but progression. Now, in other words, she's saying, even when we mess up, now my kids, my girls, it's funny, you know, I got to be, Mandy's way far more gracious than I am. Uh, and so I'm the disciplinary, if you will, in the house. And so, but she's gracious and I'm getting better. Hey man, pray for me. Thanks for praying for me. I'm getting better. Okay. Spirit of God lives inside of me. I'm learning. Amen. And so here it is. Um, but when something happens, you know, and I'm, 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 I may be frustrated, heart may be broke by the decision that one of the girls made. And I'm like, man, why did they, man, good, man, what, 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 what? And so the fellowship may be broken. Now remember, Adelphos, uh, we're now children of God. This family, Paul uses familiar terms, this family terms, terms of endearment is what it's called. And my girls, the fellowship may be broken, but at that moment when they made their decision, they don't cease or they will not cease from being my kids. They're still my kids. They still have my last name. They still live underneath my roof. Amen, right? But they're still my kids. And I want to tell you this, that even with you and I, when we mess up, Paul is saying this, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to just bounce on you. Have you ever had a really bad breakup? Some of y'all are like, woo, you just like, you just had a little chill. Like, oh, snap, I remember that, right? It told me up, right? You still, you, you have post-traumatic, you, you messed up from that deal, right? You moved on, but it's still, every time you hear so-and-so name, you just, you just kind of take you back. But have you ever had a real bad breakup? And it's funny, man, because I don't know if you do it anymore now, but I'm not a real big Facebook person, but back in the day on Facebook, you, you know, you had to like the status of your relationship. It'd be like complicated. Like, what does that mean? Either you're in a relationship or you're not in a relationship. It's complicated or it'll say something like, I'm single. And Lord forbid, if you're with somebody, you get on their Facebook page and it says single, but we got a whole, there's a whole other conversation we got to have, right? And so you see this stuff. It's like these bad breakups, and now they, we do them over social media in, in different ways. I want to encourage you, especially Paul will go on, not in our text today, but later on in chapter 8 and verse 39, he says that I am therefore, he says, check this out, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing in all of creation, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's a good word this morning, even when. But the expectation now is that we trust the Holy Spirit to get us there. He goes on to say in verse 13 and 14, again, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, assuming that the individual have, has already repented and received the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, after you've heard the gospel, Paul would say, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, a down deposit on your salvation. 
In other words, you can't lose salvation. The Spirit's not going to just up and bounce on you. Remember, Jesus comes in, uh, and he drops his majestic luggage inside of you, and he's faithful to you to see you change, to see you um, uh, get to where he wants you to go, get to where he wants you to go. And, and by the way, he's not committed to your dreams. He's committed to his plan for your life. And so he wants to get you there, and he knows how to get you there. And so Paul says it's by the Spirit. Verse 14 goes on to say this, for all who are led, just think of this, all that's just, just walking, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or even daughters of God. There it is. So ask yourself this question this morning. Am I being led by the Spirit of God or am I, am I trying to lead the Lord? The mistake that Mark Batterson said this, I'm paraphrasing, but he went on to say this, that many Christians think that they're following Jesus, but in actuality, what they're doing is they're asking Jesus to follow them. There's this, this misunderstanding. Remember, the open analogy, just adding things to adding things to our lives. And Jesus just becomes this other thing. And uh, he's, you know, and uh, good things are good things, but the ultimate thing is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here it is. Paul says, being led by determines that we are sons or even daughters of the Lord. We have divine enablement. He allows us to do things that we can't do. See, what you feed will lead. What you feed will lead. In essence, if I feed the flesh, the flesh is going to lead. But if I feed the Spirit of God via the Word, prayer, meditation, man, fellowship, man, surrendering areas of my life that I hadn't surrendered before, just, man, Lord, deal with me. I know you're living inside of me. I want to be more like you every single day. I don't want to look like my old self. When I wake up in the morning, I want to have a new phase, a new new rendition of me, if you will. I want to look more like Jesus. If that's the case, the Spirit will lead. What you feed will lead. What you deny, it will die. It will die. You see, fighting sin without the spirit is like an open hand slapping a bear. Now, I wouldn't recommend anybody to do this. It's like open hand and slapping a bear. You smack the bear. I just want to tell you this. It's not going to go well for you, okay? It's not going to go well for you. Um, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. You see, here it is. As a child of God, we don't run from the Lord in shame and guilt. Here's the beauty of it. You ready? We don't run from the Lord in shame and guilt. We don't do that. Because of the cross, Jesus' resurrection, his, his performance, if you will, on the cross, accomplished all this stuff, and then it also deals with shame and guilt. We dealt with that a couple weeks back. But we run to him in repentance and find grace and mercy. So here are five ways that you and I can kind of just really deal with sin in our lives, how to really fight it. You ready? Humble confession. Humble confession. We see that in James, confess your sins to one another, that you may be healed. Um, humble confession. Maybe it's just total surrender. And it's amazing as you look at the word surrender, um, you probably noticed this before, but in the middle of that word is end, E-N-D, end. I got to come to the end of myself before I actually really surrender to the Lord's lordship. What about being reassured in the gospel? That, let that be your reference point. Let that be your starting point. Let that be the thing you go back to, to be um, revigorated, if you will, and have refocus. What about memorizing specific scriptures? This is a very, very good deal. It's a very good practice and a good habit, and it's a spiritual discipline. Memorizing, memorizing scripture. Maybe this is a good one here for you. Don't just avoid sin, but pursue wisdom. A lot of times we want to say, I just want to avoid sin. I go, oh, I'm not going to, oh, but we have to be pursuing something too. We can't just be running away from something, we had to be going to something as well. And as a matter of fact, Paul would even go on later on in 2 Timothy 2 and 2, he says, flee, he goes on to say, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And this word flee means this, 
That's kind of what Paul is even arguing here. Man, look, you got to deal with this. We got to deal with sin. You got to deal with sin. We got to deal. We got to rage war with sin. The word flee is where we get our English word fugio or um, uh, fugitive. And his other word saying run for your life. Run for your life. In essence, now because of this new dynamic, the spirit of God living inside of me, I can I have this divine enablement to deal with sin, right? First Corinthians 10, 13, that God would always provide a way out when I am tempted. Uh, and so that's a good thing. That's a good soul tattoo text for you and I. But by the way, also, I just want to encourage you with this. It is crucial to understand that the Holy Spirit is not trying to merely curb your behavior. Not trying to just curb it and kind of just, all right, go over there to the corner. He's trying, he's trying to actually change your heart. Not trying to curb your behavior and my behavior. He's trying, to cur- he's trying to literally change metamorphosal language that we've already learned. He's trying to change your heart. Not just after your obedience. He's after a whole new type of kind of obedience. How does he do that? He does it by spotlighting the beauty of Jesus Christ to where you and I, we're in this walk. We go, man, the things of this world, now they turn dim. I want to chase after Jesus. I want more of him. I want more of his presence. I want more of his love. I want more of his grace and and mercy in my life. I don't want to pursue the things of this world anymore. Why? Because they never satisfy. And what the spirit of God, what he's going to do, he's one of his key roles is this, is that he brings glory to Jesus Christ by making him beautiful in our lives via the church, fellowship, the word, prayer, time with him, intimacy with him, and then what happens? We begin to change. We make our decisions based off that. We say, you know what? I don't want to be around that stuff no more. I have different desires, a different, a different appetite. Paul, going to, he goes on to say this, for, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery, okay? Now we know we have the spirit inside of us. He's already talked about, here's how we deal with this. Here's how we manage as children of God. He said, but we, but we didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as the sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to deal with that in just a little bit. We have a new perspective. We have a new vantage point. For you and I, as a believer in Christ, we have that different vantage point. And Paul says that I want to make sure that you realize you don't go back into slavery. Your vantage point has changed. You see, spirit of slavery means this. When we need something else for satisfaction, when we need something else for satisfaction, security, or even meaning, and then what happens, we become slaves to these different pursuits and quests. But what accompanies that is always the spirit of fear. Have I done enough? Right? Have I done enough? I mean, going to bed, laying head. I'm thankful that I'm, and by the way, Romans chapter 8 is a a scripture or or a chapter of assurance. Assurance of salvation is really big on that. Uh, there was an argument back in the day of what is it about, more the spirit of God or assurance, but it's actually both. That The fact that we've been given the spirit of adoption into our hearts, your heart, my heart, now we realize that, you know what, nothing can mess with us, nothing can shake us. I am a child of God. And I know some of y'all, y'all been called everything under the sun but a child of God or a daughter of God. But I want to let you know something here this morning, that when he sees you, he looks at you and said, you are my son, you are, you're my daughter. No matter what other people say. But be careful, because that spirit of fear, it leads to this whole mentality, have I done enough? Uh, what if I don't make it, right? Will I not be approved or accepted? We naturally fall into this stuff. And this is why Paul is saying the spirit, here's, he's going to be the one that's going to get us through. We've got to submit to him and his leadership. You know, how is life, right? It never works. I feel alone and fearful. Remember, you're fully known and you're fully loved. The second thought is this, the benefits of our relationship, great benefits. 
great benefits. You and I, we go from orphans to adopted. We go from orphans to being adopted. It's amazing because orphans, man, it's, they, they, they're feel, they feel anonymous. I mean, they're kind of like nobody really knows them. It's like it's just this random little kid, right? Just nobody knows their, their plight. Nobody really cares about their plight. Uh, what about abandonment? Orphans feel abandoned. Orphans feel afraid. But I'm, it's amazing because Jesus, Jesus even said in his ministry before he went to the cross, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. And so the benefits of our relationship is this, that Jesus doesn't want to be one among many. When it comes to our relationship with him, he desires to be the one and only. He doesn't want to be one among many. Yeah, I just, oh, yeah, Jesus. Remember, add it on, just Jesus to my life. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'll just add him on. to the, No, 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 no. He wants to be the primary and the ultimate. And therefore, the dynamics of discipleship, or not discipleship, but adoption is basically this. You ready? That you and I in adoption, watch this. He said, we received this. We received it already. In adoption, all that belonged to the adoptive parents becomes the possession of the child who is adopted. It's like you get everything. Like you literally get everything. I think I shared this analogy before, um, but it's like the, the father who really loved his son and so the son went off to the army, was fighting, boom, 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 boom. He died in the army, but while he was in the army, he was in his barrack, and he was next to a good friend of his, and his friend, they built a good relationship in the trenches that they were fighting for their country. So the, the son of the father, he passes away. And so that, son, that other guy that his son was in the, in the trenches with, he was a great painter, so he painted a picture of, uh, of his son. And so the guy leaves um, the army, and so he goes to the father's house, and he's going, hey, you know, uh, I, need to, I need to give this to the dad. So he, he comes to the door. The dad is, you know, he's perplexed and just kind of, who is it? Who is it? He comes to the door. He opens up the door, and the guy, he doesn't know, know this guy from Adam, but he has this big old kind of canvas, if you will, and it's a picture. It's clearly a picture, and he, he removes it. He goes, hey, uh, sir, I, I can't do much. I can't bring your son back, but, but the least I can do is I, I wanted to draw this picture as a remembrance and just appreciation of your son. And then the dad began to weep and, and weep and weep and weep. It was emotional, a moving time. They embraced. The dad told him thank you. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And then the dad, two weeks later, the dad passes away. They had an estate sale. Auctioneer came in. They were giving away different deals. The auction started on, on key pieces. And so the auction started. Boom. The gavel goes down. Boom. All right, here we go. The auction starts. And they said, we're starting with the painting. They're starting with the painting. People are like, move on from the painting. Move on from the painting. It's not even a Picasso. It's not even anything great. Move on to the painting. Come up. Well, let's deal with all the good stuff, the cars and the furniture and, and all the other things in the house. We, well, nobody care about this, this silly old painting. Move on from the painting. And so they kept the, the, guy, the, the guy that was doing the actual facilitating goes, all right, we're dealing with the painting. This is the first item on for bid. And so it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Move on. There are people ridiculing. Move on, move on, move on. And then way in the back, this guy goes, hey, $85. And so he goes, $85, $85, go on once, go on twice. But, you know, they talk really fast. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's funny to watch that too, by the way. But then it just keeps going, keeps going. Anybody, anyone a second, anyone a second. Boom, so bang to the guy way in the back. And then he, he comes back after that and gavels again. Boom, the auction is over. Everybody's mad, upset. They're flipping chairs. It's pandemonium in there. And then on the back of that actual, on the back of that actual picture, it read this. You ready? He who gets the sun, they get everything. And this is the picture of adoption for you and I. This is the scandalous grace of God that he will take an orphan like you and me and he will actually allow us to be grafted into his family, grafted into the body of Christ, grafted into this adoption as sons and daughters. And then he who gets a son, he gets everything. 
That is amazing. That it blows my mind and that we can walk in the richness of this grace and this favor of the Lord. And you and I today, we can walk in that. Don't be ashamed of this. Don't, 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 don't question it. Walk in this. And I tell you what, it will change the way you live your life. Well, J.R. Packer said this, though. So if we're adopted, we belong to a family. And based on our text this morning, it's saying that we cry out to Abba Father. He's our father. Abba is from the Aramaic word that really means Papa or Daddy. But in other words, J.R. Packer would go on to say this in his book, Knowing God, in his chapter on the sons of God, he says this. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp, if you will, of adoption. He goes on to say this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes or she makes of the thought of being God's child. That's so good. And having God as his father or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his or her worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he or she does not understand Christianity very well at all. It's profound. We've got to resemble our parents. It's like resembling parents. You know, nature and then nurture. You're born, you're born to your physical family. You come out looking a certain way, right? Um, you know, I came out, I was, a, I was a big old, I had a big old head, right? And so uh, just you come out looking like your family. You just come out with hair, hair type, skin tone, eyes, just, you know, just traits and different deals. You, you be look like them, DNA of them. That's nature. But in nurture, as you grow older and get older, you learn different deals. As you're growing up, you learn different traits and habits by watching, if you will, those in your family. And this is what Paul is saying. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, he said, in other words, press forward, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. Yes, your first birth didn't produce anything but sin and death, but he says now this second birth, as Jesus will tell John, uh, Nicodemus, Nick at night, in John chapter 4, I mean John chapter 3, he says, you must be born again by the Spirit. And so we receive the adoptions of sons by the Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Look at verse 16, he says, but the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of, we're children of God. It's based on God's love. This is based on God's love. I told the staff, I think the other day, that we are recipients of God's, really, his commitment to his own self. And it's not as if God was upstairs going, man, I, I fall, I'm falling in love with them. You know, this whole Sam, young teens, and I've said it too before when I'm dating, like, oh, I'm falling in love with her. Well, as I got older, I began to rethink that. I'm saying if I'm falling in love with her, I can easily fall out of love with her. That makes sense? That's not the case with God. He's not chosen you set. He hasn't chosen to set his great love on you based on how good you are or saw you and said, man, they dress really good. I, I like that person. No, it's based solely on his eternal love, his personal love, his intentional love, his unconditional love, his generous love, and his purifying love. And as adopted children of God, we go from damaged goods to God's trophies of his trophies of grace. We go to trophies of grace. I tell you what, and it's all about benefits. Being in this relationship, you, you know, it's, it's not like we manipulate the Lord to get from him. But again, remember, adoption is as if the person being adopted, they actually take or get all of the assets or all of the benefits of the family that they're being adopted by. Okay? So it's like the psalmist will say in Psalms 103, chapter two, I mean, verse 2, David will go on record to say this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me. Notice this. Bless the Lord with all my soul. 
Bless the Lord with all my soul and, and all that is with me. No, no, no reservation, no, 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 no setbacks, no, nothing holding me back. All that is within me. Bless his holy name. Oh, my soul, and forget not his, David goes on to say, and forget not his benefits. Man, God is good. He's gracious. And he says he bear witness with our spirit. I said it a little while ago. Well, how does he do that? Through the evidence of a changed life, through the evidence of the Spirit of God living inside of you and I, he bears witness. I love this text. This is one of the scriptures I remembered um, or memorized, excuse me, when uh, I was young in the faith. That knowing that, man, Marcus, you, you have been, he's your, he's your king, he's your God, he's your Lord, and the Spirit rests, he rests in you. Verse 17 says, um, and if children, notice this, and if Children, this is not an if as in iffy, and the Greek it means really this, conveys the sense of absolute certainty. There's no wavering on this, but it's for sure. And here's how he bears witness. You ready? Through evidence and change in your life, through the process or the promise, excuse me, of the gospel, in financial difficulties, he'll say things like this in the spirit. I'm not talking about some little cute little, um, you know, little harp little dude with a diaper on. I'm not talking about these little fake, this, this fake stuff that we have out there. I'm talking about the spirit of God living in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. And I'm going to tell you what, there's nothing that you're facing in your life that a good resurrection can't heal. And I want to tell you this as well. Here's how we see that he bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of him. It's through a changed life. You ought to look different. And it's through the promises of the gospel that we were so loved that Jesus wanted to die for us, but we're so bad he had to die for us he died in our place in financial difficulties you are my beloved son or daughter it doesn't have you have to figure that out you have to worry about those things in marital difficulties there is no condemnation Romans chapter 8 and 1 in singleness I will never leave you or forsake you in the midst of addiction as far as the east is from the west so I have cast your sin far away from each other in terminal illness as high as the heavens are from the earth so are my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts I am doing something so good you can't even imagine. What about the wandering or the wayward child? Surely he has borne our grief and he knows what it's like. He knows exactly what it's like. So Romans 8 really is a, it's a chapter on assurance to the child of God that God got us. He got you. What about in doubt? What about in doubt? Isaiah 26, 3 says, and you keep him in peace, in perfect peace, excuse me, whose mind has stayed on you. What about in temptation? We're being tempted to do different deals. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 he always provides a way out every single time. The Bible says that we, and if, not iffy, not like rolling the dice, and oh, maybe if we're children, really it reads this, and since we're children. He says, then heirs, and then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So heirs, in other words, mean this, is the one who receives some endowment from a parent or a predecessor. Not right to possess, but you have the, now you have the right to possess it. Remember, he who gets the son, they get everything. And then the co-heir, man, you get to reign with him. You and I, we get to reign, we get to reign with Jesus Christ. And Paul in his Pauline theology would even say this in a couple of his, his epistles, he'll say that we were now even seated, Ephesians, we were seated with God in the heavenly places. We're seated with him. And actually, I think three or four times throughout Ephesians, go back into a little work, that actually he would actually put us with Christ in the heavenly places. And we are with him in the heavenly places. And this, in the heavenly places. And what about this? And we're with him in the heavenly places. So here it is. We are, we're co-heirs and heirs with the Lord, the Most High. 
And so I want to encourage you, you and I, for how we live our lives today. We are, yes, living on the soil of of the United States. We're here on earth. But I want to encourage you as a son and a daughter of the Most High, we also have a new residence. In this adoption, he changes our location. He changes your zip code. He changes your address. You're going to look different. Man, you're going to smell different when we get to heaven. We're going to worship together. Revelation chapter 7, all of us, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we will sing holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That's the culmination, if you will, of the glorification stage in which Paul talks about right here in the last verse. So in other words, what Paul is saying is this. If you're willing to take hold of Jesus, take hold of him, he took hold of you. With all the suffering and persecution, hostility and difficulty that goes on in our life and a lot of the stuff we're facing even today, and I believe those days are even going to get more pressing ahead of us. But being a follower of Christ Jesus, he says, you will also be glorified you'll be glorified with him. And it's funny because in the moment, in the thick of everything, it seems as if things are eternal. It's like when I'm going through a hardship, it's like, when will this ever end? Gosh. And it's funny because waiting, waiting is hard. But if we knew the outcome, if we knew the date when whatever we're going through was going to be over, we could endure things. Right? Like, oh, I know the date. It's going to be another two weeks. I can endure this, right? If we knew when COVID 19 was going to be over, like, okay, it's going to be over right here. All of us, like, okay, let's just endure this for a couple more weeks or whatever the case. We, we will have just this different disposition. But I want to encourage you on this. You and I were sons and daughters of the Most High God. He sees from a different vantage point. We too now have the option. He who has a son has everything we can see from a different vantage point. Remember, last week, we don't. We don't live based on our situation. We, we live off our revelation. We allow theology to be the engine and how our, our feelings to be the caboose. And as a son and daughter, I want to encourage you today. You walk in that biblical identity. You walk as a son and a daughter of the most high God. And don't take any shame in that because you know why? Well, you and I know the gospel. We better embody the gospel, reflecting it in everyday life, but then also we can demonstrate it to a watching world. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for Romans chapter 8 is so loaded. It's a packed, I mean, just rich set of scriptures inspired by you without error, without just infallible, all these great theological terms, but yet it's so sweet to our soul. It's like honey from a honeycomb. So Lord, I ask that even this morning as we've heard from you, I pray that your word will settle in. It will fall on good soil. It will bear fruit, multiply, and then multiply. I pray that many of us, we've kind of added you on to just our lives, just based on I'm going to add Jesus on in my retirement. I'm going to add Jesus on to um, just all the busyness that we do. And I know being in Texas, there's different traveling leagues and things like that, and, and all those things are good, but they're not ultimate. And I pray as parents, we will have a centered position on the gospel being the ultimate because that's what lasts for eternity. And I pray that we will actually begin to see things differently as a son and daughter from a new perspective via helping us by the Holy Spirit, him helping us to, to navigate through this stuff and to see it and to, to really take hold of it and really to experience all the benefits that you desire to give us as we walk with you and because of this union with you. He who has a son, they get everything. And I pray for those that don't know you. I pray this morning, right now, Holy Spirit, save that young lady, save that young man, save that older man, save that older lady, save those that have been on the, on the sidelines of just, man, with Christianity, 
pointing a finger at it, trying to poke holes in it. Very religious, being around Jesus, but not convinced like the rich young ruler. Just around him, curious, but not convinced. I pray this morning that your spirit that we've talked about, the third person of the Trinity, will begin to uh, uh, convict them and show them that you are real. Not only that, but you love them and that you died for them, that you paid the penalty for them. If they put their faith and hope and trust in you, that you will save them today. So, Lord, save them right now. Save them right now. Thank you for saving them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking forward to the weeks ahead as we continue this series. Happy Mother's Day again, and we'll see you. See you!